exist. And that's really what I'm going to talk about today is why small group exist. Um, so I, I began to look. I thought, what's the purpose? Why do we have this Christian life? How are we supposed to live it? Questions on questions and questions. I thought, well, let's see what Jesus said just before he went to heaven. And you know the stories, the Great Commission in Mark and in Matthew. Go ye into the world and make disciples. And uh, uh, Luke says something similar. And John really doesn't have a commission. He just says to, to Peter, um, feed my sheep and follow me. But then I looked and I thought, where would I find what Jesus really wanted for small groups, but rather his prayer for his own small group? There is where I found out what Jesus' ideal for a small group is, what a small group is supposed to be all about, why they exist. And so if you have your Bibles with you, will you please turn to, with me to John uh, chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. And I think we have it up in, in, on the Scriptures. And you can... Scriptures. That's the new fashion Scriptures, eh? The PowerPoint. Um, yes, can you read this with me? Let's read it out loud. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them... Got to go to the next slide. Got it? I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. And one more. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. I read, and I read, and I read this, this passage of Scripture to try to make sense of it. It's rather poetic. It doesn't appeal to my logical point, reason, point, reason, illustration mind. It's Jesus pouring his heart out in prayer to his Father. But the first thing you need to see from this whole idea that small groups, small communities of people meeting together is not something the church invented. It's not something that Willow Creek or Rick Warren invented with 40 days of community. It is God's idea. It's always been God's idea. And uh, that's the first thing we see from that. Matter of fact... The first small group was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is a relational being. He loves and thrives on relationship. 
So the idea for small groups is in the very essence, the very being of God. Um, Jesus wants us to be in that same fellowship and community with each other. It's a place where I can be known and am known the same way that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, know each other. Um, Before I got my gas barbecue, I used to have an old-fashioned briquette barbecue. Does anybody remember what those were like? You had to pour the briquettes into the to the barbecue, and you pile them up in a nice little pyramid, and then you dump about four gallons of lighter fluid on it, and then you wait and throw a match in. And at that point, I usually singe my eyebrows. But but you had this nice group, compact group of briquettes, and and the the flame. Uh, uh, came up and then it died down and they just stayed together and they heated and they heated and they heated. And if you removed one of them or somebody bumped the, the barbecue and they scattered on the bottom, the ones that were away from the heat, they would just isolate them and they would go out. So there's something about the way these little briquettes are constructed that when you put them together, the fire glows and they get real hot. But when, but when you isolate one, it quickly cools. It loses the fire. But when they stick together, there's a fire because they feed off each other. God designed briquettes to work that way. Dallas Willard has said about the Christian life, personalities united contain more of God and sustain the force of his greater presence, better than scattered individuals. Think about that. Personalities united. People in community contain more of God and his transforming power than isolated individuals. It's not because if you're not in a small group, you're going to drift away and backslide. That may happen. But it's in a small group we get to see more of God. We see more of God with each other, and we see more of God in each other's presence. Matthew 18.20 says, Whenever two or three of you come together in my name, I am there with you. I used to think this meant, well, if you can't get a bigger group together, then two or three is okay, and I'll be there, but I wish more people would have showed up. That's not what that scripture means at all. When just two or three gather in my name, I am there in a special kind of way. In other words, the basic building block of the church is the small group in which the members are committed to one another as they are to Christ. We, th- we tend to think of the small group as only being a part of a church. The New Testament does not make this distinction. The small group is the church. It's as much the church as the larger group we have here this morning. So small groups have always been God's idea. In John 17:22, Jesus says, Jesus prays to his Father, I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one with one another. 
Now, here's the thing about small groups. They're sometimes hard. They sometimes have some annoying people in them. And if you don't think there's any annoying people in small groups, maybe they haven't let you in on the secret yet. That um, <clears throat> It is only Jesus that allows us to live in community. Community and unity and in union with Him. If we think that we can have a small group without the power of God and Jesus' Spirit living in us, we can't. We may have a committee, we may have a social group, uh, but we won't have a small group with the presence of God. Look at Jesus' own small group. Would you like to be in that small group? Let me tell you about it. Some of the disciples were a bit of a pain. Peter talked too much, was rather impulsive. Thomas, he could be a bit negative. James and John, they always wanted to be leaders. And Judas, don't even get me started on Judas. And look at the political conflicts they might have had in that small group. Uh, <clears throat> Simon the Zealot. Zealots were an extremist nationalist political party committed to the overthrow of the Roman government by any means possible. Violence if necessary and sometimes assassinations. That's who Simon the Zealot was. The only people they hated more than Romans were the people who collaborated with the Romans. Like tax collectors who were Jewish people willing to collaborate with the Romans for corrupt financial gains. And the Zealots were freedom fighters or or terrorists depending on your political point of view. So Jesus is forming his small group and he says to Simon... Simon, you're a zealot. You despise Romans and collaborators and tax collectors. I'll take you. And then he says, Matthew, you're a collaborator and a disguised tax collector. I'll take you. You get to room with Simon. (laughs) You guys should have some interesting things to talk about. So in real community... It's not easy. There are difficult people. If you get into a small group and there are no difficult people, please let us know. We, we will assign one to you. <laughs> we have files with the names of difficult people, and we want to spread them out throughout the church. Jesus did not create a community for perfect people that had a natural chemistry with each other. What made his community explode was this amazing spirit-empowered determination of those within the community. They wanted to lavish love on anybody who could possibly stand it. And then it just exploded. You will never go wrong by underestimating the hunger of a human being just to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. I know of a fellow when I was in the RCMP probably in his 60s or 70s, who ran into some troubles in his life. And although he had lived in a small community in southwestern Manitoba all his life, he really did not have true community that he needed. At that time in his life, he had only a sister living in Winnipeg that he talked to occasionally on the phone. 
And he ran into some trouble one time and he couldn't take it anymore. And he ended up taking his own life. And when we investigated that, there was a little bit in the scene that might have made us suspect that we might not have a suicide but might have had a murder. So as we began to investigate where he'd been, what he'd done, and we talked to his neighbors and the people in the small town around, we keep on hearing the same things. Well, I knew Joe all my life, but I really didn't know that much about him. Played cards with us on Wednesday nights at the Legion, but really, I didn't get to know him. So the tragedy of somebody living 70, 75 years in a small community where he only had superficial relationships. And when the struggle came into his life, he had nobody to go to, nobody to take off his mask and reveal who he was to so he could get help, so he could have some conversation, so that he would uh, be okay. So, small groups can provide that type of stability for us. Another reason Jesus wants us to be in small groups is Jesus wants us to be with him and to see his glory. 17.24 says, I want these you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me. I want to be in a small group to be with Jesus and to know his glory. Uh, When we read this scripture, we can think that it means that we will be with Jesus in the future, in heaven. That's kind of how I will interpret it. Great, Jesus is praying for me. Hopefully his prayer works and down the road I'll get to go to heaven and be with him. But Jesus said again in Matthew, wherever two or three of you are come together in my name, I am there with you. Then they can see all the glory you gave me. It is in this setting that we can see the glory that Jesus is talking about. Do you want to see the glory of God? Would you like to see God moving and doing some wonderful, miraculous things? Well, I'll tell you what this glory is about. It is the glory of transforming love. Human beings were created to love in the same way the Trinity loves each other. The love that exists between members of the Trinity spills outward. With our rebellion against God, our love has become introverted, centered on ourselves. One of the expressions of this today is the excessive preoccupation with such things as my rights, my life, my liberty, my pursuit of happiness, religion becomes a means towards self-realization with the interest being on self-esteem, self-fulfillment, and self-identity. We ask the church, what's in it for me often? One of the things small groups is not is a place to fix you up and make you a better person for selfish reasons. Our love and our transformation is to be outward for others, to serve others. So small groups are about transforming love. E. Stanley Jones says, 
The most miserable people in the world are the people who are self-centered, who don't do anything for anybody except themselves. They are centers of misery with no exceptions. On the contrary, the happiest people are the people who deliberately take on themselves the sorrows and troubles of others. Their hearts sing with a strange, wild joy, automatically and with no exceptions. We are structured for the outgoingness of the love of the kingdom. It is our native land. In small groups, we are transformed by the love we give to each other. Here's a small list of all the things in the New Testament that we can be doing to one another or with one another. I'll just go down very quickly. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Bear with each other. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Build each other up. Carry each other's burdens. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Confess your sins to each other. Consider others better than yourself. And I could go on and on about all the one another's that we are to take care of in the kingdom of God. So the small group is transforming love when we reach out and we put others first and we look out for the interests of other. And then there's the glory of transformed lives. One of the things I used to love about youth is when kids, you could see them changing before your eyes as you spent time with them through the years, how they became more and more confident, more and more mature, uh, less and less self-centered. It's awesome to see someone come to faith in Christ and have their lives utterly transformed by the glory of God. John Stott says that I do not think it's an exaggeration to say that small groups, Christian family or fellowship groups are indispensable for our growth in spiritual maturity. In a small group, we can take off our masks and begin to to grow together. Um, I heard a story of a a lady who was going to take her grandchild to church. I think it might have been a Catholic church. And the the eight-year-old had never been to church before. So she went in, and as they came in, they came and they sat in these nice high tall tall pool uh, pews. And immediately the grandmother kneeled down uh, to pray, and the, the granddaughter with her. And the granddaughter looked around and whispered to her mom. She said to her grandmother, she says, Grandma, what are we, who are we hiding from? <laughs> In small groups, we get to take off those masks and let people know uh, who we are. It is harder to hide from ourselves from one another in a small group than in a crowd. I could stand up here week after week after week and preach and say all kind of wonderful things. And you would never know what kind of struggle could be going on in my life. Uh, I remember hearing at a conference once, a pastor talking about how he fell into to sin and had an affair. And uh, his friend pastor was talking about, how did that happen to you? And he remarked that the reason that he fell into this sin is that he could stand up here 
and give out the word to his people week by week by week. But he had no process for having the word come from here and into his mouth and into his heart. He had no community to keep him accountable. No place to tell what his struggles were all about. In a small group, I need to take off my mask and be real. It's easy to hide behind a facade and discuss pleasanties, have coffee in the foyer, and not really get at what my heart really, really needs. Small groups where all the members participate as directly as possible are more effective for changing attitudes and behaviors than is the lecture method. Wait, let me read that again. Small groups are more effective for changing attitudes and behaviors than is the lecture method or the preaching method. It has been said that the lecture is the most efficient way for information to pass from the paper of the teacher to the paper of the student without touching the mind of either one. So small groups allow us to get deeper into things, to talk about how it affects us, how it impacts us. John Ortberg says he is regularly astonished by people's ability to hear a sermon, nod at it, be moved by it, (laughs) write it down, and then precisely do the opposite of what they've heard. We may hear biblical instructions like be gentle, be loving, be faithful, but how do I actually apply that to my boss, my spouse, or my kids? What would Jesus do if someone cut him off in traffic? Would he say, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Or would he roll down the window and shout, Woe to you, you whitewashed sepulcher! It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you. (laughs) What would Jesus do? A lot of people have heard about Jesus. But how many have been taught how to apply Jesus' teachings to their real lives? Small groups can help us discuss and talk about the application of all these wonderful truths. Small groups can really address this gap. And if we need to make some key decisions on our journey of transformation, what are my commitments about prayer, about scripture, about my use of money, about evangelism, about a servanthood, about truth? Keeping these commitments requires a community of accountability to serve me, revealing how we're achieving our goals or missing them. Small groups is a place to come to confess to one another, to talk to one another, to learn from one another, to serve one another, and to serve with one another, to grow together, to pray together, and to pray for one another. In small groups, God is revealed. In uh, 1726, it says, I have revealed them to you. I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them. In small groups, Jesus lets us know more about God. God is seen in the people we live in community with. Has anybody really seen God? Since Jesus was resurrected, 
Some people may have had visions and things, but in our day-to-day life, do we ever get to see God? Yet He's all around us. And we see Him in the faces of the people in our small group. In Matthew uh, chapter 26, Jesus tells that parable about the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says, if you want to see me, you'll look with compassion on the hungry, on the thirsty, on the naked, on the stranger, the prisoner, the sick. That is where you will see God and the love of God that may be in us. In our small group, we have hungry people, we have thirsty, we have sick. We have people, prisoners of addictions, prisoners of their own thoughts, prisoners of the struggles they're going through, hungry for compassion, thirsty for meaning in their lives. When we can reach out to them and allow them to reach into our lives, that's when we will see God in a rich and a powerful way. And lastly, in a small group, we are a witness and a testimony and an advertisement to the world. Jesus says twice in this whole, in this prayer, in this community, in this union, me with you, Father, and, and, and me with my community and them with each other, then people will believe that you sent me. In this union, people will know that I've been sent by God. That's what Jesus is praying. That's what he's saying. People won't believe that you sent me because I can give a good argument, that um, that I can talk well, that I can quote Scripture. People will believe that you sent me, Jesus says, when we're in community together, loving each other, when our lives are transformed by this love for each other. God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus said that in this prayer. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. That they may know that you, they, that you love them as much as you love me. Only in this community can we have this, this union with God. And I, um, I need to close with, uh, with just to sum up a little bit of what I'm trying to, to get across for you is that union with God and unity with each other is Jesus' prayer for us today. And in small groups, that's what it's really, really all about. I used to think that we do small groups to fill the seats, to grow the church, to pay the pastor's salary, to get more staff, a better way of teaching, a lot of these structural, organizational things. But the small group is not primarily for evangelism, although people will get saved and come to know Jesus through small groups. It's not for personal fulfillment, although I'll find a deeper purpose when I serve God with my small group. It's not for personal growth, but when I can be real with a group of people and they can be real with me, I will grow like I've never grown before. It's not for filling the pews, But when people can see the love of God in people's lives, this place will be overflowing. But it's to see God's glory in the eyes of somebody across the room from me. It's to see God working in the lives of the people around us. 
It's to see God giving someone purpose and direction and love. It's seeing the unlovely being loved, the uncared for being cared for. I could use a small group right now. In my small group, I need to talk about the fact that that uh, my wife and I have an empty nest right now. We've married off one daughter and one has moved out and the third is working full time and keeps the schedule slightly different than us and so we come home once in a while and there's nobody there except seven goldfish. Well, maybe four goldfish now because we're not very good with them either. (laughs) And I have a new job and I'm not in youth anymore. I help out a little bit, but I'm not running the youth program anymore. So our small group needs to help us walk through this and pray about this and talk about this and grow through this. I don't need a small group to fix me. And you don't need a small group to fix you. But you need a small group to hear what God has to say for your life. You need a small group to speak into somebody else's life. You need a small group to, to walk that journey together. And you need a small group to serve with other people. And I'm going to ask the, the musicians to come, and, and as they sing, I'll just... That's what small groups are about. It's seeing God in a new and a different way. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how real do you want your relationship to God, with God to be? Because the more real you want your relationship with God to be, the more you need a community of people who you can be real with. So let's, let's sing and then we'll close.
Well, we're in the middle of a session of small groups. Uh, most have started and they're in for two or three or four weeks. So if you're not in a small group, we want to start them up again after Christmas. We're just about into that Christmas season. And I'll have a sign-up sheet there. If what I've said to you today says, yeah, I kind of would like to explore that, I'd like to know that, I'd like to find out, uh, speak to me at the end of the service. I'll be in the back. I'll take down your name. And uh, in January, when we start up again after Christmas, we'll, uh, we'll try to get you into a small group. And if this has spoken to your heart and said, you know what, I need to reach out to more people, I'd like to to lead a small group in my home or host one in my home. I'm not doing that right now. I might be in a small group, but I need more people. I want more people to be served. You can speak to me about that too. Let's pray. Father, in union with you and in unity with each other, you prayed that the world will know that you sent, that you were sent by God. And so, Father, we pray for that union with you and that community with each other. We pray that we would have that small group fellowship, a group of people that we can share with and care with. Father, as we go from this place, may nobody go lonely and afraid. May they seek the relationship of somebody here in this service. Maybe seek a prayer with an elder if they need that. And Father, may you just go with each one as they go. Uh, Bless our fellowship in in the foyer. Build relationships there, we pray.